guys can be seated. Uh, good morning. My name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant Church, and uh, really excited to be here this morning with you guys on Dedication Day. Um, and we got an extra hour of sleep last night as well, which is always nice. Oh, thank you guys for the little clear out right here, center stage. And um, we have kids in here today with us as well. Hey, kids, um, glad you're here with us. And so parents, here's the good news. Like, it's going to be crazy today. That's okay. Um, and, and kids, here's the good news for you. I am talking to your parents today about how to be a great parent, right? Um, and that is good news for all of us today. Um, so talking about parenting for a moment, we do these dedications, we kind of take this time twice a year to kind of just talk about what it means to be a godly parent. And I was thinking about this phrase right here, like parenting most days for most of us in here is this right here. We parent most times with fear, like we use fear to kind of parent our kids, right? That's okay to say? We parent with fear for behavior. We, we scare you enough so you'll do this thing and you'll act right. With the goal of us as parents being respected and admired and so that our kids would have a good and easy and moral life. Like, if we're just real honest, even myself, our default mode in parenting is that right there. Is that we're going to use fear to scare our kids, to act a certain way so that we're not embarrassed and they can be like, you know, decent adults one day, right? We kind of default to those things. And, and I'll give you an example. So yesterday for our family was fair day. And uh, went to the fair. Our whole family goes, my, my parents, Tracy's parents, cousins, the whole crew is there. And it's, it's a great time, exhausting time. And um, that's right, you and Hayes. And um, we uh, were, were there, and we have three kids. We have Hayes, and we have Con, and we have little Hattie. And we said, you know what, let's, let's put them on a ride together. There's like a little boat ride. They ride around this little boat. It's so cute. But, you know, Hattie's little, and she has a mind of her own. And so Hayes' job was to like keep Hattie in the boat so she doesn't die at the fair. That's the, that's the first goal at the fair is don't die at the fair. And, and so we're, we, got, we, we find the boat, right? We, we walk them up there. There's like four grandparents helping. It's this whole thing. And we get them in the boat. And Hayes is try, Hayes doing a great job. You did a great job, Hayes. And Hattie starts pounding on Hayes, just hitting him over and over and over again. But that wasn't the problem. Here was the problem. We picked the wrong boat for Connor. And it wasn't a red boat. And literally, like, it was just... The whole time, Connor is just screaming, and there's parents, my parents are watching, other parents are watching. They stop the ride because Connor's screaming so loud. And it's in that moment that I'm parenting with fear so that my kid will stop just being crazy for one moment. We're at the fair. This costs lots of money at the fair for your, for your like, easy life. And it's in that moment, and that's like a small picture because I'm so aware of how my parents are watching me parent, of how strangers are watching me parent. We're like, and so I parent out of this idea of, of just fear. And listen, we do that all the time as parents. And, and not just as parents, we do this as Christians. We, we live a life of fear so that people can see us in our morality, and we live this exhausting life for ourselves, for our kids. And it's, it's this works-based righteousness, Right? And so um, today we're talking about what is Christian parenting? 
Like we have an idea of kind of how we parent sometimes in our flesh. But what is Christian parenting? Let's go to Deuteronomy 6. It's on the screen, but please turn there. We're going to be there today for a little bit. And to give you a little context here, here in Deuteronomy, Moses had uh, just given the Ten Commandments, and they are getting ready to go to this new land that was full of false gods and temptations and ways for the people of Israel to turn away from God. And so God gives Moses these words to give to his people. And these words have great impact for them and for us today. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This verse here is called the Shema. And this is a, a Jewish prayer that even today, the Jewish will pray this twice a day, in the morning and before bed. They pray this prayer, the Lord their God is one. Now remember, they're going to a land full of false gods, many gods, many temptations. So, so God wants to give them this idea, there's one true God. And here is like your job description. It is to love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, and with all your might. Even Jesus himself points to Shema in Mark 12. Look at this, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard him disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, well, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Think of this. Think of your heart, your head, and your hands. That as, as people, as parents, as followers of Jesus, we are called to love God with everything, right? That's easy. You know, Luke preached last night, like, surrender all. This idea of everything is God's. We are called to love God with everything. So the first thing here is Christian parenting starts with loving God with everything. Listen, there's nothing as a parent you can do as a Christian parent. The first step is to love God with everything. And here's why. You cannot pass on what you do not love. You cannot pass on what you do not love. So last night I hear there was a football game last night. I'm not sure if there was or not, but I hear there was. And I'm there with my dad and my sister. I'm raised an LSU fan. And it was a rough night for LSU fans last night, as we know. Uh, yes, it was a rough night. And, um, and at like halftime, I'm like, man, um, I talked to my kids. Said, All right, guys, y'all start saying Roll Tide. It should be much easier that way in your life. Just turn over, just move on, and all those kind of things. But here's the truth, right? And my dad was actually mad at me. He really was. I was joking. He was like, oh, he was mad. I could tell because he had passed on what he loved, right? We pass on what we love. Our kids, here's a newsflash, parents. Your kids see what you love. Like We can take them to things, to church, or try to say nice things, but your kids, more than anybody except your spouse in this world, they know what you love, which is really, really scary, right? They see how you spend your money. They see how much time you spend on social media. They, they send, you know, on iPhones, this new thing called screen time. Have you seen that on, like, the new update? It is really humbling um, for y'all. I'm just always in books and the Word of God. That's just me, though. And um, it's, just, it's this thing. Our kids see it, right? It, we cannot hide from that, and you cannot pass on what you don't love. But here's the problem. Hear this, and let's be honest here. 
we are incapable of truly loving God with everything, right? Listen, if I tell you right now, and this is the lie, I think, of the American church. We have these smiles on our faces. We say, okay, you go and you love God with everything. And we send you out to do that in your own power. And we all come back defeated, depressed, and exhausted. Hear this. Please hear this. It is impossible for you to love God with everything. You don't have the self-will, the discipline, and the good heart to love God with everything. You don't have it. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. And this is John, the beloved, giving us this beautiful picture. I, I love First uh, John, the book of John. It's kind of like companion piece to each other. And he just kind of goes right into the love of God and like how we should abide in that love at all times. He says here, beloved, let us love one another. Underline this. For love is from God. Love is from where? Love is from God. Not from us. Love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God. Whoever loves has been born of God. It's that second birth. Not born of your parents, right? Born of our parents, we don't love God. We don't have love. We're enemies of God. Let's keep going. Anyone who does not love does not know God. It's this sign. If we're not loving God and loving others, it's a sign in our lives that we have not been born again because God is love. In this, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. This is Jesus, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We just sang in that song, we're standing in his glory. We're standing in his glory. That's that picture of us living through him. It's his perfection. It's his righteousness. It's his glory that we now live in being born again. Let's keep going. Verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God. Listen, love is not that you have got the self-will or the morality or the greatness that you have loved God. That is not love. It's but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Hear this, friends. Our love is not the driving force in our walk with God. You are not the initiating agent in our love for God. You cannot do it. Uh, Danny Aiken says this. I love this. It is not our love that is primary, but God's free, uncaused, and spontaneous love. All our love is but a reflection of his and a response to it. The origin of love lies beyond human effort. Write that down. The origin of love lies beyond human effort. If you hear nothing, I hear this. You cannot do this. Beyond human effort and initiative. Left to ourselves, we would not love him. We would hate him and oppose him. It took his boundless, sacrificial love to break our hearts of stone and bring us to himself. And you see this word here, propitiation. It's a, a long word. I'm glad I said it right. All those kind of things. And it just jumps out. The propitiation for our sins. The atonement for your sins. The sacrifice for your sins. The payment for your sins. You needed these because you and me 
This is gospel 101. But if we go past the gospel into our parenting, we're not going to be Christian parents. Listen, we assume this, that we know this, but we don't live this way. We needed a way to be brought back into right standing with God. Look at Colossians real quick. Colossians 1, verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Here's the key. Making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, that's you, that's me, who were once alienated and hostile in mind. Let that word hostile for a moment. Like there's times I'm hostile at my kids, right? Or you have an enemy in your life. You have people in your life who you don't like, who you are hostile against, who are your enemy. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He made peace by the blood of his cross. Hear this. We were enemies. Listen, we were the traitor. You think about, you hear these stories in your kids of people being a traitor against their country. And like, that word traitor, when I grew up as a kid, a, a traitor against my country was like the greatest offense in the world, right? But in this picture, you were the traitor. I was the traitor. And listen, we kept rebelling and rebelling and rebelling and rebelling and rebelling. And, and God pursued us through Jesus, even as we're still traitors, as we're still sinners, Christ came and he died for us. This is the start of Christian parenting. Not that we love God, but that he loved us, even as we rebelled against him. Listen, we can love God with everything because God first loved us with everything. That's a core Christian point. Think about this for a second. This is silly, but it helped me think about it. Uh, have you been like really thirsty before? Like I work out every day, twice a day, and I get very, why's that funny? Um, every day, and uh, I, I've been times like, you know, you start cramping up, you're like, you just, you're so thirsty, you're just like completely just wiped out, dehydrated, like sun's beating down on you, and you just want some water, right? You're just dying for that water. And here's the truth. The fact that Christ reconciled us as enemies and as traitors, that's the water. But we too many times, we go for like the Coke. Like we're so dehydrated, but we're going for Coke, which is the worst thing in the world, right? There's no refreshment. There's a slight appeasement for like one second, and that's all that we go for. And listen, your righteousness, your self-righteousness, that's the Coke. And God says, here is the living water. Why, church, are you so thirsty when we have the greatest hope, the greatest news, the greatest refreshment in the world, that Jesus reconciled us traitors to himself through Jesus. That's good news for us. That's good news for parents. And listen, that's how we truly care for ourselves, by coming back to this living water over and over and over again. But here's the thing. This has to move from just being some theological truth in our heads I think I'm saying these things, and if you've been in church for a while, you've heard these things. I feel like you know these things, but something is missing. Look at verse 6. It says here, verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
Like, you don't hear these once, you kind of move away. They shall be on your heart. This points to back even the future of the new covenant, right? Where Jesus kind of put his covenant on our hearts through Jesus. Look at uh, later here in uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? When your kids come to you and say, what are these rules? Dad, mom, what do these rules mean? Look what he says here. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. That's not some like deep theological thing. That is their story of deliverance, right? We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. So next point, our love for God must move from theological to personal. It must be from theological, like this thing we know in our heads, to become a personal thing where you have a story of God at work in your life. So we talked about the Shema earlier, this idea the Lord is God is one, we shall love him, and how um, the Jews, they would recite this prayer twice a day, every day. Like this was just on their lips, on their hearts. It was so near to them, right? That's how they kept this on their hearts. But here's the truth. We have a greater revelation now through Christ Jesus. But the same is true for us today. What if instead, look at this passage again. It says, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. Our story now is that we were slaves to sin from Satan. We were slaves. And the Lord brought us out of our sin with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders through changing me, changing my heart. And he brought us against Satan and all his enemies. And he brought us out from there into this new life in Christ Jesus. This must go from theological to very, very personal. Listen, we ignore this gospel truth most days of our lives. And we wonder why our lives aren't vibrant. Like we just ignore the gospel many times in our lives. Listen, there's this thing now where... You know, I guess in, in my generation where we just like, we don't want to be legalistic and, and, and kind of give people like things to do and, and things to say. But here's the truth. Like the whole history of God's church and God's people is this rhythm of reminding ourselves of what God has done. You see here in the Shema, twice a day. That was the pattern for thousands of years for believers. And, and, and now we're like, well, we're free in Christ. So we'll come there when we, when we want to. Does that make sense? And so we're left thirsty and dehydrated and unuseful for God. Our stories aren't vibrant because there's no ongoing revelation. So you notice, like, this is kind of like a message on parenting, and we have yet to talk about parenting, right? Um, sorry about that. Um, because here's, here, here's the shift you see in this passage, and the shift you see really, I believe, in all of Scripture. This shift right here. It's a shift in, in our day and age. The role of Christian parenting mostly is this right here. Teach your kids right from wrong and drop them off at events to help them become better people. That's most Christian parenting. And the shift is going from that to this right here. That parents are the pastors of their home. Every parent in this room has a church. That church is your home. 
You are the worship leaders for your home. Does that make sense? And you cannot disciple or pass on these things if you are not first loving God, knowing he loved you, and making that very personal to you. And so, like, I think about this. Um, when I say the phrase, and I even prayed about this, like saying you're the pastor of your home. And, and, and for some of us in here, you, like, never even pray with your kids. And you're like, I, there is no way, there is just no way that I can do that. And, and I understand even that feeling, even as, like, a pastor as my job. I feel that. Um, but I, I'll say this to you. The first two points today of loving God with everything because he loved you with everything. And second, it must become personal. Those two points, hear this, that's the ball game right there. That is 90% of pastoring in general, right? It's not the notes, it's not this. It, listen, if you're walking with God in a vibrant way, your kids will catch that. Because you can't help but talk about these things. Here's the great picture of this. You are living theology for your kids. You can say all you want to. Let's go to Ephesians 5 very quickly. Ephesians 5. It's not, it's not up here, but, you know, we have these things called Bibles, so we'll turn to that. Um, Ephesians 5. I'm being very sarcastic today. I apologize. It's an extra hour of sleep is what it is. <laughs> Ephesians 5. Because here's, here's the thing. Our marriages, there's a challenge, right? This idea of being a pastor for your household. And our marriages, friends, they teach our kids who God is. You have this whole passage in Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands. Y'all know all those things. We won't get into that. Look at verse 32. This mystery is profound. This mystery of marriage is profound. What it means, how it works, how God uses it. But hear this. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Like your marriage and this is where it's very convicting in our households because no one knows except for you. Your marriage is pointing your kids either to Christ and his church or towards something else, right? Because we are the living embodiment of the gospel for our kids for the first part of their lives. We have these 18, 20, sometimes 25 years with, with kids, and we have this time. And if we're just not straight up walking with God, that's like the first thing here. That's the, we're not going to talk about teaching or discipline or all those things. Those are all, I think, fruits, right? But if the roots are not there, the roots of the tree, of your own heart, your own life are not there, everything else will be in vain. It'll be shallow. It'll be hypocritical. But I do want to implore you, I do want to challenge you to own this, to own that you are the pastor of your household. That is good news for you. Okay, let's wrap up here. I told you it's going to be short. So how do we pass this on? We pass on this love in all of life. Look at verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house. This does not mean go to Hobby Lobby and get a new picture frame. That's not what it means. It means this should be so evident that your house just screams this. It just screams this fact. So you see this here, and you see this is all of life. 
when you rise, when you walk, when you get up, when you go to sleep, when you eat, when you do this. It is all of life. And in and, and one sense, that's not helpful at all, right? All, what does it mean, all of life? Well, the first thing I will say is organically. Like, not even talking about like when or how, but organically. Like, the posture, the culture, the ethos of your home should be the gospel. Like, that should just permeate all the time in our homes. Like, your kids should know, man, mommy and daddy, they're messed up, but they really do love God. They're humble. They love God. Like, that should just be, like, just so evident in our homes. And so my question for you today, is that evident in your home? Like, if I asked your kids right now, what do mommy and daddy most care about? What is most talked about? What is most celebrated? What is most sung about? What is just the, the culture of your household? You know, um, as pastors, you ask this question all the time. Um, what is your plan for making disciples, right? What is your plan for making disciples? And second, is that plan working, right? We, we have this option all the time, me and Luke and Weston and the other pastors. Like, is this actually working, right? And it always starts with this idea, is the gospel just like the most fluent thing in your church? So in your home, is it evident? Is it fluent in an organic way? Is this the posture of your household? All right, I want to be helpful now for a moment. And I stole this from Village Church, just full, full disclosure. I'm going to give you three things, three ways to pass this on. Time, milestones, and moments. Time, milestones, and moments. We pass this on through intentional time with our kids. Um, your kids should know when family worship time is. And listen, if you have never done family worship, um, there is grace for you. You're an enemy of God, right? The grace offense you have is not just that right there. It's many offenses. And so you're reconciled. So don't, this is not a, a guilt or anything like that, but I will tell you this. If the love of God is real to you, you should pass it on to your kids. And you do that through intentional family worship time. That includes reading God's word whether it's a kid's Bible, storybook Bible, whatever, reading God's word, praying with your kids. I, I, start with the Lord's Prayer. Just, just open your Bible up, read the Lord's Prayer, and just, just start there. That's very simple. Start with the Lord's Prayer. And next, I would encourage you to sing together. If it's just Jesus loves me, that our, that our homes, and I'm going to be, you know, weird for should be just filled with singing and laughter because we have the greatest hope in the world. Our homes should not be filled with fear and judgment and apathy or exhaustion. They should be filled because God has first loved us, right? He's first loved us. So I remember um, I met Tracy. And um, there is something earth-shattering about meeting your, your spouse who you love, and they love you back. Does that make sense? That's a humbling thing to be loved. Like, she knows me. All my stuff's out there, and she still loved me. Thank goodness. Um, but even more so, I want y'all to hear this, that God just loves you. Like his love should permeate our souls and should change our lives and make us just like dance and sing and shout and celebrate. And our kids should see that. And that starts with family worship. Like your kitchen on the day of the week. Listen, as pastors, you're a pastor of your home, right? If we didn't have a, a time every Sunday at 1030 or 1038, whatever you want to call it, when we start worship, right, well, then what are we doing as pastors? 
Like, when do we worship as the family, right? Well, when is your family worship? That's a core thing that your family should know when you worship. I think this is weekly. On some level, it should be daily, that you're praying, that you're reading God's word. Songs should be sung in the car. You know, Luke's great at this. Luke takes his kid to Legacy, and they have songs, the songs from our church's playlist. They're worshiping God, all these kind of, you know, spiritual things that they do. And, but it starts their, their day in this just kind of posture of worshiping God because we are the worship leaders for our home. So we give them time. Next, we celebrate milestones in a very intentional way. I'll give you three of these. Birthdays. Spiritual milestones like dedication, like baptism. And, and I, I like this. A new grade at school is a big milestone, especially those, you know, kindergartens, uh, middle school, high school. Those are just huge days that help shape our kids, right? These milestones. Um, I read even during the game last night, I kind of turned the game off, was on my phone on Twitter. And uh, Matt Chandler over in Texas, uh, it's his son's 13th birthday. And he posted about how he got men and women from around him to come for this kind of celebration of their son's birthday. And they spoke words of truth and life and encouragement to him as he became stepped into manhood. And it was this, you could see his intention there was to have his son feel this kind of movement from being a child to stepping in to manhood through these milestones. That we as Christian parents, with the greatest hope in the world, we use these natural milestones to just show our kids who God is, how loved they are, and how God can use them. Last, moments. Intentional time, milestones, and these God moments. That we as parents, as we're walking with God, right? As you're a pastor walking with God, there are these moments that just kind of jump out at you. Many times I will tell you, it's through tragedy, it's through a loved one passing away, it's through a friend getting sick, through things we can't explain, that many times with our kids, when these things happen, we run away. We don't want to have that talk. I had a friend the other day whose kid was growing up and they were going through a kind of a, a weird transition and their phrase was, we just don't talk about that, right? And that's our default mode many times during these really important moments We move away instead of pressing in. We help them see that through this tragedy, God is still at work. We can't see it. We can't see it. We empathize. We cry. We mourn. We can't see it, but that God is still good. We enter into those kind of moments. Next is through failure. Listen, as your kid loses the game in soccer or your kid gets the the bad grade at school, as your kid lets somebody down, Just as you have let folks down through that failure, through that God moment, we capitalize on that and we give them the good news. We give them the gospel. And last, through discipline. Uh, This is just, you know, me as a parent. My favorite thing in the world is to discipline my kids, which sounds kind of crazy because it's in that moment that I have their attention, right? When they have blown it and they know it's coming. Like, oh, no. Oh, gosh, a little fear there. It's always healthy, right? All that kind of stuff. You have their undivided attention. Listen to this. I love this quote. We cannot attain perfect obedience from our children. Newsflash, your kids are going to mess up every single day. They're a sinner just like you, right? Nor should we want to. Our children will fail to obey. Our goal is not to produce perfect obedience 
but to provide regular demonstration that sin has consequences. The point of discipline is to show the need for the gospel of Jesus Christ, not to hone children to the point of not needing it. Don't create these perfect do-gooder children. Point them to the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that can change their terrible hearts. Just like your heart, it's the gospel of Jesus over and over and over again that will change your heart and change your kids' hearts. Here's the good news. You have this chance when your kids mess up to rehearse the gospel with them and preach the gospel to yourself all at the same time. Many times, I know in my life, when my, when my kids mess up, which never happens, they never fail, never do anything bad. When I have these moments, it's this beautiful chance for me to sit down with them and share the gospel. Because guess what? My heart needs to hear that just as much as theirs does. But my parents aren't in the house anymore, so my parents get that from me. And so it's our job as parents to pass this on to our kids. All right, wrapping up. Imagine this. Imagine homes that looked like this, that was full of pastor parents, right? Parents who just own the spiritual condition of their kids' lives. Imagine these homes in this little church right here. We're not a big church. We have lots of kids. We have lots of a lot of future ahead of us. If us as spiritual parents, right, as if we really just walked in the love of God, and if we as parents were just so full of God's love for us that we were sinners that were reconciled to him through the cross, if that was just the, the ethos of our lives and in our homes, and we saw our kids as our greatest discipleship opportunity, and we spent days and nights when we rise, when we go to sleep, all those times passing on this love to them. Not passing on moralism, not passing on slavery, but passing on the love of God to our kids. And for 5, 10, 15 years, we spend investing in our kids and our teenagers. What could happen as we release those kids out in the world in 5, 10, 15 years? What kind of kingdom impact What orphans in 20 years will be adopted because you were the pastor of your home? What foreign nation will have a missionary because today you are the pastor of your home? What churches will be started because you are the pastor of your home? What hungry will be fed and housed because you were the spiritual pastor of your home? What could God do if we as parents walked in the love of God and it was on our heart daily and we passed this to our kids? What could happen? Amazing things for God's kingdom. Do not take the shortcut. Do not take the easy way out. This is the greatest responsibility, challenge, and opportunity that you have as a follower of Jesus. This is not a curse. This is a blessing. There is no greater reward than to have the kids God has stewarded to us. They're not our kids. They're God's kids. So I want to encourage, implore, challenge you through the love of God, pass on the love of God to your kids. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, you are good to us. You're very, very good to us. We ask um, that as we have um, strayed away, as we're prone to wonder, as we just forget your gospel, we look to ourselves and our righteousness, Father. We see these things. I I pray there's repentance today, Lord. And not just so that we can be better parents or 
do a better job. That's just more slavery. I pray that we are just brought to our knees in brokenness, crying out to you for rescue. And in the midst of our rescue, we pass on how good you are to our kids. Lord, let your kindness today lead us to repentance. And Lord, I pray for all the kids and teenagers in this entire building that they are this great gift to us in our church. That you will bless them and their lives with just unbelievable provision, blessing, and ministry. That you'll do a work that we cannot explain through us just owning the spiritual role in our households. Lord, you are so good to us. Let us respond today with worship, with obedience, and love for you and love for others. Lord, speak to us today. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Incredible song. You may be seated. I'm going to say a quick prayer uh, over our offering as our ushers come forward. We'll take that up and then we'll move on with dedication. Father, thank you for your gift of grace as we prepare to um, give back monetarily um, toward your kingdom work around the world. I pray that we do it as your scripture um, calls us to this um, joyful and cheerfully. And uh, Father, these few dollars that we give, I pray that you would stretch them, that it would indeed carry the gospel around the world. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I love that uh, song we just sang. Um, It was one of the songs that we uh, would play uh, when my kids were all in uh, Ashley's womb. Um, And that was the prayer of my heart that my kids would would know that. Um, That uh, the greatest gift and reason for living would be um, that they would know Christ as, what does Paul say, as the surpassing value. And uh, our kiddos are going to make those decisions. They're going to make those decisions as to what is the most valuable thing that they're going to chase after and run after. And I pray, even as Jason preached, that our lives would be the greatest apologetic to them, that Christ is a surpassing value of all things. Uh, the Israelites that Jason even referred to had a, uh, had a practice of bringing their kiddos um, to the temple to commit them really back to the Lord. And in a similar way, that's what we're doing. Um, We're going to bring them up front and we're going to pray over them and we're going to continue to do this. It's days like this that I'm reminded we have a lot of people in here that are maybe empty nesters or single singles or married with no kids yet, and I don't want you to think that sermons or days like this passes by you, but there's a responsibility even to you, and if you look at the front of the little guide that you got, the commitments, two commitments are made during this ceremony, one by the parents and one by the church. The parents today are going to commit and recommit, and hopefully every day they're going to commit again to be the primary faith influencer of their child's life. But the church, all of us gathered together, we're committing to support, encourage, and equip these parents in discipling their children. And that's a role for all of us to play. You know, the proverb that it takes a village to raise a child. And the more, different, the more difficult your children might be in the stages they walk through, the more villagers it's going to take, right, for us to accomplish this. I remember growing up in so many churches um, and how my dad would... Uh, give the freedom to anyone in our congregation to spank me if they needed to. And I was like, Dad, that's, that's a little much, man. Um, but there was this sense that, that we were in this together and that we were pointing them to Christ over and over. And That's what I want us to do as a church. We're going to do that. And we're going to call the parents in, and we're not going to give any kind of long, lengthy speech to them. Um, um, but let's, let's bring, yeah, they can come in. I'm going to call their names out, and if y'all can just come... Stand up here. Um, first is Jackson Elliot Tipton, uh, born November 17th. The parents are Micah and Kristen Tipton with little Ellie as the sibling. Yeah, y'all can come. Yeah, just stand. Hey, Ellie. Next is Ann May Sparks, born on September 25th. So little. 
2018 to Paul and Janin. God's already shown such faithfulness to them through this. Thank you, guys. Next, London Jade Smith. Man, I just want to like hold all these babies for a minute. And then when they have dirty diapers, give them back to you. Born April 19th, 2018 to Megan and Terrence. Next, Miss Millie James Burnside. Born on August 16th, 2018 to Brandon and Amy. With Mason and Reese there. All right, next, we have Stella and Saranella Komodo. One born on February 21st, 2018, and one on November 21st, 2014, to Hiroki and Susan. I think they got there. Yeah, Isabella and Luca here with us. We just want to um, affirm to you guys how much we love you, what a great honor this is, not just from the pastoral staff, but for all of our church, that we are in this with you. Try to move out of the way so I can get out of the pictures there. And the commitment that you're making today, in essence, is a visible sign of an inward reality as you know that your kids are a blessing and gift from God, and you're giving them, in a sense, back to him and say, God, we want your will to be done in these kids' lives, and we want to shape them in that way. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you guys. Father, thank you for your gift of grace. We thank you for each of these, for Jackson and Anna and London and Millie. Stella and Saranella, and I just pray your blessings on them. We have no idea where they'll go in life or what you have planned for them, and that's okay. We trust you that you're going to lead. We pray for just extra means of grace on these parents as they raise kiddos, or that you would speak to them in a very clear and way that they understand, and they would follow in a way of obedience, and that you would raise these mighty warriors up for you in a world that increasingly is darker and darker as the days go on. But we don't lose heart. We press forward, um, knowing that you are the greatest and surpassing value of all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you guys. Thank you guys for coming. Y'all can feel free to hang around and take pictures. You're dismissed.